I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. How to calculate paces for workouts and easy runs, and maybe even race day. We often talk about the concept of keeping the easy days easy and the hard days hard, but that only works if you actually know what your true easy pace is and if you keep your hard days in the correct zones and train with a purpose. It can be very confusing when you are simply comparing your training to someone else's training or worse, comparing your runs to other runs. An eight-minute pace versus a nine-minute pace may look like one was easy and one was hard, but how do we know if we are slowing down enough on our easy days or working in the right zone on these hard days? The answer lies within a simple fitness test. We like to do time trials and use the VDOT calculator, but there are several ways that you can calculate these paces. We are going to share with you the step-by-step process for figuring out the correct paces to run and making sure you're not just running paces that maybe feel hard on certain days. Because when we say keep the hard days hard, we don't just mean go out and run hard. Each workout that you have within your plan should be very specific to the outcome and the races or the goals that you have further down in the future. You have to plan things in advance. Otherwise, training can just turn into chaos and you're not really driving anywhere in the right direction of your goals. So we're going to talk a little bit about how to figure out what sort of workouts to run and making sure you stay in the correct pace zones because there's really not a lot of room for, you know, just random hard running out there or going out to the track and just hammering, all right, I'm just going to run a couple 400 super fast. And what you'll find out as we dive into this podcast is why you don't want to do that, why you don't want to just like hit up the track and run, you know, a couple laps super fast and just call that a speed workout. Um, And oftentimes that's what runners do. Like when I first started running, that's what I thought I did. Or I'd, you know, hop on the treadmill, I'd go outside and go, you know, I'm going to go hard today because that's what they say to do. They say to run hard to get faster. And so you just go out with really no purpose 
in mind. Um, and that's where runners can start to get frustrated because they're following this principle and we talk about it all the time, right? So they're keeping these days easy, hard days hard, but the hard days are just chaotic and they're not really going anywhere specific. It would kind of be like if you're going to the gym and you say, you know what, I'm going to lift some weights. I want to get stronger, but you're not really lifting with any sort of plan or purpose. You just kind of go in, you're throwing around some weights. You might see a little bit of results from doing that when you first start if your body isn't used to lifting weights. But eventually over time, you're going to be like, well, this isn't working. I'm not getting stronger. But the reason for that is because unless you're lifting with a purpose and you're doing a certain amount of reps and sets and changing the weights and being very strategic with how you're going about your weight room exercises, you're really not going to be able to see any sort of progress. And the same is true for running, right? So we don't just want to go to the track and just kind of do chaotic workouts. We really want to be able to have very measurable ways to get to where we want to go. And also that helps as a runner because you're able to measure progress along the way. So I have with me today, Jason Phillippe, who has been a run coach for over a decade. He has been a competitive runner for well over 20 years. So he definitely has experience with doing these very specific workouts himself, but also prescribing them to athletes. And I think one of the biggest transitions is when someone goes from, you know, just doing their own run coaching, like they're doing their own thing, right? So they're doing their own workouts and then they sign up with a run coach or they go to their first group training session and they start to see, oh, like I'm not supposed to be going all out on these workouts or they start to see kind of the philosophy that we are talking about is there's that transitional period. And Jason has worked with hundreds of athletes over the years. So he definitely knows a lot about that transitional period where people um, kind of start to have that sense of doubt and they're not really sure that what we're asking them to do is, you know, worth it. So I guess I'm going to ask Jason a little bit about that transitional period and how you've approached it. Cause I know you've worked, you know, with middle school all the way up to master's athletes. So do you find that certain people are more, um, open to this type of training philosophy or what is one way that you, as a coach, help them embrace this? Yeah, I think, you know, as a coach, the beauty about working with with athletes is that each person has their own, you know, unique story or situation and their experiences. So um, they probably all started running at maybe, you know, different points of their life. Um, You know, beside if you're just working with like middle school students they are probably all just starting out. But uh, most adults, you know, they all have their own journey. They started at various ages. Um, They probably come to you with different experiences in terms of like the amount of races that they've done. Um, and so it's really just kind of figuring out, like meeting them where they're at and then just slowly getting them on like a more of a consistent, um, training program. And so that might look different for everybody. Um, you know, I've done training plans for people who took like lots of time off and they come back, they start up again. And, you know, if it were up to me, you know, as long as they don't have like a race in the near future, I would just start them off with, with easy running. And I'm probably not going to prescribe any workouts, um, for the first month, I might I might do some like progression type runs or some strides, but for the most part, they're just going to be working on building that base. And so, um, how we structure a plan is really going to be dependent on um, not only their background, but kind of what you know what their goals are. I mean, people athletes that come to us, obviously, they're paying for coaching, and if they want to do a five k or ten k race in six weeks, um, our goal is to kind of get them ready. And so that's where we'll obviously um, you know tailor the training and and sort of meet them where they're at. 
Right. Yeah, that's a really good response. And I think one of the things that we do here at run for prs and we do this really well, is that we meet the athlete where they are at. And I know that's something that you had spoke to, meeting the person where they're at. Um, and so often, you know, on social media or just in general, um, we see other people's workouts online. Or even, you know, in 2014, I purchased a plan online. I really wanted to run a certain marathon time. I purchased a custom training plan from this coach who was supposedly a really great coach. And when I opened it up, I immediately just had like this overwhelming sense of anxiety. I was like, this guy thinks I can do these workouts. I mean, they were very long, right? They were um, a lot longer than what I was used to because at the time I didn't really do any sort of very structured workouts. And I think just leading someone into this process of introducing workouts very slowly is extremely important because what I saw when I opened that plan was, holy crap, this is really beyond my level. Um, I'm not able to do this. And maybe physically my fitness was there because I know it was, right? He created this because he saw, okay, she can run this time for a 5K. I'm gonna create this plan for her. But what he didn't understand is that I didn't have the workout experience. I didn't have the competitive running experience. I needed time to build into workouts. And for example, you know, one of the workouts in there was like three mile warm up, five mile tempo at threshold pace, and then like two mile cool down. And in my head, I'm like, I, there's no way I can run my threshold pace for five miles. I had never, you know, done workouts like this before. And so I think what Run for PRs does really well and what you do really well as a coach. Is um, and what good coaches would do is they would progress your workout slowly over time. So maybe that first season, you know, you're only going to be doing like two by one mile as a tempo, or maybe we're even going to do time based because who knows how long it's going to take you to run one mile, right? Maybe we're going to do like three by five minute tempo with a short rest period. And that not only builds confidence in an athlete, but it allows your body to adapt over time, right? So the first time you're going to go into the gym to lift weights, you're not going to go up to that, you know, the barbell squat rack and and throw on like you know 90 pounds on there and just be like yeah I'm gonna squat like five by five um you really have to ease into things right and so if someone is new to the weight room I would say hey let's just do body weight squats let's get a couple dumbbells I understand that you can probably lift more than that but it's about building confidence it's about letting your body know like hey we're gonna be increasing a load here we're going to be doing some changes. And so you want to gradually build instead of just, okay, you know, you look like a strong person. Let's throw you up into, you know, 90, 90 pounds on the squat. Um, and that's really kind of what this plan was trying to have me to do. It was, it was too aggressive of a jump. And so what I ended up doing as a runner, I looked at the plan. I attempted to do it. I modified it. I lost a ton of confidence um, because I wasn't able to execute. Um, I thought that maybe there was something wrong with me. But if you're ever having these thoughts as a runner, um, looking maybe at other people's training and trying to attempt the workouts or being confused when you see someone on Strava, you're like, how the heck is this person running 40, 50, 60 miles a week when I can barely run 20 miles a week? The biggest thing you need to realize is that every single person is different and they're on a different journey, right? You need to look at what you are doing and find confidence in the training that you're doing. Everything's a progressive overload. You have no idea what that person on Instagram or what that person on Strava has been doing over the last 10 years. You have no idea. So it's really important um, for your own confidence to really focus on your training, progressive workouts. And even if someone's in the same shape as you, if you can go out and crush the same marathon or 5k, their training still might look different. And I think that is something that's 
really important. Um, so Jason, talk to me a little bit about how you evaluate the fitness levels of an athlete. Yeah, that's a good question. You mentioned a lot of great things that kind of resonated with me and that I also think about, um, when I'm starting to prescribe workouts. And so if I'm working with an athlete for the first time, um, and they haven't had any sort of uh, recent race history or they're not quite ready for like a time trial yet because they just kind of are getting back to running. Um, I'm probably only going to prescribe um, a couple workouts um, right off the bat and it's going to be more based around effort. And then I'll see how those runs go and I'll get the feedback from them before I, you know, I'm going to prescribe more of like um, exact paces. So I might give like a wide pace range, like it might be like a 30 second wide pace range. And then I'll start to kind of, um, focus in and zoom in on just like more of like a, you know, this is going to become your new threshold pace, that sort of thing. And so I think it's, you know, like you said, it's different for every athlete and I want to see how they handle the workouts and see if they were, um, you know, when they finished the workout, did they have this sense of like, Oh, I, I accomplished something or were they, did they feel a bit defeated? And then I'm going to adjust based on that because I don't want to, like you said, give a person, ath- I don't want to give an athlete workouts that seem, um, you know, too daunting for them to complete. Right. A lot of running is mental. And so I think building that confidence and just building on the experience of being a runner, doing these workouts is extremely important. And it's also important to understand when an athlete comes through the door, or if you're someone who's listening and you're trying to come up with your own paces, you need to know that some athletes are terrible racers, right? You just don't have experience. You aren't sure what pace to go. And so if you're doing a fitness test, maybe you're going to do a 5k race locally, or you're doing a two mile time trial. Um, and you aren't able to pace yourself correctly to give us a accurate fitness assessment that is going to skew your results. So let's say you're doing a 5k race and you go out and your first mile is, you know, seven minute pace, the second mile, seven thirty, and then it's eight. When I look at that, I go, wow, okay, this person has a lot of speed. They can run, you know, seven minute pace or that first mile, but they just really need to work on pacing. Right? So I, I see, okay, they really slowed down the workouts we should prescribe should be based on how can we work on negative splits? How can we get this person to work on their pacing a little bit? But also, I can't just plug that right into a calculator and go, oh, you know, you ran that 5K pace. Because in reality, if that person could pace correctly for a 5K, let's say I paced them and I knew, okay, this person's going to run, you know, 730 pace. Um, and we were able to really just start slow, finish fast. They would run a significantly faster 5K time than what they did run on race day because they just do not have the experience and they were not able to pace themselves correctly. Um, so that is something that really needs to be taken into consideration because otherwise, if you're just throwing in a race to your calculator and saying, oh, like these paces sound really easy. And I'm not talking about the easy paces. I'm talking about like these workout paces. If you see that, you know, you're supposed to run intervals at maybe like seven minute pace and you're like, no, this doesn't seem right. Like I'm a lot faster than that. And the problem could lie in that either you're lacking endurance um, and you plugged in like a half marathon race. So that also happens or you're just really bad at pacing. Um, so there are ways that we can get around that. So I like to maybe do even a shorter race. So maybe we're going to do a one mile because you can get a little bit more of a closer, um, accurate 
uh, fitness level based on a shorter distance race because there's less room for like pacing errors. You know, if you pace a mile wrong, you're only going to be off a little bit. Whereas if you pace like a half marathon wrong, um, it's going to really show in that time. So that's one way to look at it. Uh, so another question that often comes up when we're talking about this, I know I touched on this a little bit, um, what sort of race distance should you be plugging into this VDOT calculator, right? So again, we're, we're kind of talking about this VDOT thing. So you can just Google search like VDOT online run calculator. There's a few out there. I mean, you can even use like a Macmillan run calculator. A lot of these calculators are going to be um, using the same sort of algorithm. So almost all pace calculators out there that I have seen in my, you know, eight years of doing this, they're pretty accurate within a range. So you can pick whichever one you really want. We use VDOT. Um, so you can just Google that, pick one up. But what sort of race results should you be plugging in there? Because I know a lot of times when people are focused on a marathon, maybe they're going to throw in a marathon time. And can we speak a little bit about why that might not be the best way to measure your current fitness? Yeah. Um, when we think about these calculators, you know, it, it gives you paces. And then if you, if you look at there's also like a race equivalent. And so if you're using like your marathon time, um, most people aren't really reaching their full potential in the marathon. Um, that's just the nature of the beast of the marathon, right? So um, they can probably run faster across a shorter distance. So um, you want to do a shorter time trial and use those results. And when you plug those into the calculator, you know, to, to go off of those paces. And so, you know, it may give you a pace for your marathon pace that's 30 seconds per mile faster than what you've ran a marathon. And that's totally normal. I think for a lot of people, that's kind of what we shoot for. And so your training may look like that. And, you know, if you can get comfortable running, you know, a pace that's 30 seconds per mile faster than what you've ran a marathon before in training, um, you know, hopefully you can run close to that during the race. And so um, always looking at a shorter time trial, um, you know, anywhere from like one mile to a 5k. That's kind of what I like to use depending on um, the runner, the age of the athlete and their experience level. Right. Yeah. Really good point. Those shorter distance races, there's just a lot less room for error. And like you were saying in a marathon race, a lot of people are not reaching their potential. And there's just a lot of things that can happen over the course of 26.2 miles. You know, maybe it was a fueling error. Maybe it was race day weather. Maybe you just aerobically were not in, you know, the right shape. Cause I do think the marathon is the distance where it takes the longest time to build that aerobic engine. And so you, it might take you decades of running to really reach your potential in that distance. And so what I like to see is an athlete in that shorter distance um, race, and then we're going to plug in that race result of the short distance. And we're going to train like, Hey, here is your marathon pace. You know, it, it's saying you seven thirty pace is your marathon pace. And we're going to train that way. We're going to train assuming, you know, your 5k fitness is where you're at. And then, you know, people kind of get a little scared with that, right? So let's say you're a four hour marathoner. So you run nine minute pace for an actual marathon, but your 5k is saying, Hey, you got a 7.30 pace marathon pace. People get really scared because they're like, I don't want to run a 7.30 pace marathon. And that's totally fine. So what this means is that you're just going to train based on the fitness level you're in. You have to challenge yourself and run the correct paces for the fitness you're in. 
But then when race day comes, you can set a different type of goal, right? So there's a difference between running a marathon and racing a marathon. And we can really just talk about, hey, you know, I know we trained and I know, you know, it says this calculator is saying 730 pace is your marathon pace, but we can have just a different goal. Like, how can we have a positive race experience? What pace do you feel like running? It doesn't mean you have to like actually execute on these paces. These paces are more for training and making sure we're training in the correct fitness level. I mean, instead of thinking about running, we're going to go back to that weight room, weight room example. If your training is saying, hey, we think you can max squat, you know, 300 pounds and you're like, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. I, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Like, and your coach would say, Hey, that's fine. You don't have to do it, but we're going to train you. We're going to overload your muscles. Like with the, the reps and sets with lower weights, like you can do that because you probably could, and we're not going to make you do it, but we're going to train based on the current fitness you're at, because it, it does take a lot of, you know, other things to be there to really max out at that marathon. And if you're not ready, that's fine, but we're still going to train in the current fitness that you're at so that you can actually see results. Because what would happen if you plugged in that four hour marathon time and you saw, okay, marathon pace, nine minute pace. It says your half marathon pace is eight thirty pace. You'd be doing intervals at a pace that is just not challenging for you. And you would actually start to lose fitness over time and it would deteriorate. So When you pull up this calculator, understand that it's not saying you have to run these at longer distance races. It just means, hey, this is where your potential is at for these longer distance races based on a short distance race. And we're going to work based on this current fitness level. But there might also be a gap to bridge um, somewhere else, maybe in fueling, maybe in just race experience, maybe in mentality. Um, so I guess a lot of people, they probably will pull up this calculator, see what it predicts in their marathon. And I think the common reaction is to laugh. So Jason, what what is your experience with that um, marathon number and what do you think it really takes to get there? Because I think this is a good question just to ask. Because I know when I plug in, when I'm in really good shape, I'll plug it in and it usually says I can run around like just under a three-hour marathon. And that's about uh, like 13 minutes off my uh, current PR. So what do you think it really would take to you know bridge that gap for most runners? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, there are a lot of elites out there who feel like they don't even reach their potential in the marathon. And I think that number one thing it takes is time, right? Like it, it can take many, many years. It can take uh, lots and lots of experience with racing and with, and the, the thing with the marathon is like, we don't get to do them as frequently, um, as you can do shorter stuff, you know, shorter races, because, um, it takes longer, like you said, to build up for it and it's a longer recovery window. So, um, you're typically, limited to maybe one or two marathons a year. Um, obviously we know that there's outliers out there. People that like to run them, um, more frequently than that. Um, but a lot of times they're not racing all of them either. So, um, I think for the marathon, yeah, patience is key time. Um, having, um, years of experience to kind of work on like the mental side of training, because it's so important to have confidence um, when you go into those races. And I think one way we gain confidence is through our struggles, right? So, um, most people have struggled in a marathon or blew up or, um, you know, had a rough day. And so I think that that, that really helps, um, helps us focus on what not to do and learn from those, those experiences, those mistakes. And, um, 
And then hopefully we've had, um, you know, a lot of good experiences too. And then we can um, continue to just build off that. So I think um, on occasion, you know, it's, it's okay to have tough workouts. I think that that, that can help translate over into race day. And, um, you know, I always try to go through this sort of checklist before a marathon because it's, there are a lot of things, like you said, a lot of um, more room for error, things can go wrong. And so I think going through that checklist, really being mindful of everything, um, having a realistic goal, having those positive mantras, it's, it's really important when we think about that race distance. Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing a lot of people are probably thinking is, geez, I really need to, you know, pull up this VDOT calculator. I'm really curious about what it's going to say about my marathon. But I love how you said that it just takes a lot of time and a lot of elites don't even hit their potential in the marathon. And sometimes that's okay, right? It's it's okay. And it's all about a learning experience and progressing towards um, that potential. And when you do plug in um, into the VDOT calculator, you want to use maybe a current race result, but also one you think is a really accurate prediction of your current fitness. You don't want to use an old race time. Um, For example, you know, as we're recording this podcast, I'm about uh, five months after giving birth. And so I don't want to go and say, you know what? 18 months ago, I ran this really, really lickety split fast 10 mile race. And I want to put this in there so that I can come up with my training paces. Probably not the best idea. You really want to get a current fitness assessment. So it's best to go out right now or to sign up for a race or to use something that you've ran within the last three, maybe six months if you've been really consistent, right? So we can't be using past races. You have to really be keeping these things up to date. And the reality is sometimes, I know this is going to be like a harsh reality, sometimes we do lose fitness. And so I just said, oh, like I had a baby. So people are like, oh, that's fine. Like she she gave birth. Like that's an okay excuse. But for example, I'm talking to Jason and one year ago, talk to me about like the fitness you were in a year ago and kind of like where you're at now. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, about a year ago, I was starting to get back into pretty good shape, probably the best shape I'd been in in three years prior. Um, and so I did like a virtual 5K and um, ran a pretty good time. And then shortly right after that, I had a mild kind of injury and then COVID happened. And so I kind of just didn't feel the need to, you know, sort of rush back, I guess, um, like I normally would if I had like races on the calendar. And so, um you know, with the shutdowns and everything, it just became difficult to kind of manage daily tasks. And I didn't make running a priority or especially the lifting and the strength training. So um, I started to really just focus on kind of my coaching. I wanted to help athletes through this difficult time as well, because I knew that it was, um, you know, it was stressful for everyone. And um, I looked at this as kind of a golden opportunity for, you know, the, the college athletes I was coaching at the time, but also the, the adult athletes to maybe start to think about trying something new with their training, right? Because for a lot of people, they if they're really into marathons only and they you know their goal is to run a bunch of marathons, they probably neglect some of that the faster speed work that we've talked about, um, and vice versa. For some people that haven't really experimented too much with those longer race distances, like halves or fulls, we started to maybe experiment with um, more mileage, and so it kind of was this unique opportunity to start to think about like the big picture, right? And so I think that's what. One thing elites do very well is they map out their entire year, right? They know what races they're going to do as far as distances. Um, They may have goals in the back of their mind. And a lot of times they have like, what is their A goal distance that they're focused on? And 
um, let's say it is the marathon. Um, they're probably going to have some races leading up to that, maybe a half, maybe a 15K or 25K, and they'll probably have some target benchmarks they want to achieve during that, the course of the training. Um, but I'm guessing they're not going to get too you know, hell-bent on whether or not they accomplish those goals since the ultimate goal is the marathon. Um, but yeah, I know it can be hard to kind of get get out of that, that funk of, um, you know, when, when, when you have to take time off and then coming back can be very, very difficult. And, um, you know, recently I've been starting to run again more and more, and it's just kind of been nice to take the pressure off in terms of like trying to hit certain paces, you know? So just kind of going out, going off a feel, really just listening to my body, not paying attention to the garment at all. Like I don't even look down at the splits or anything. Um, and so that's kind of the best way I think to gain your fitness back. Yeah, I really liked that segue into elites planning out their year because I think for us as coaches, it's kind of second nature. Like we're always trying to plan ahead for our athletes. We're always trying to plan ahead even for ourselves athletically. We'll think, okay, what do we want to be doing in you know 12 months from now? What's the goal? And you build backwards from there. Whereas I think a lot of runners who maybe don't have the experience with working with a coach or just coaching or whatever, they they don't um, think that far ahead. And sometimes it's flying by the seat of your pants. And often, um, even just as a coach or even just with friends, right, Um, like runner friends, they'll ask, hey, should I, you know, run this half? And I'm like, well, what are your goals for the next, you know, six months? Does it fit within your goals? And I think sometimes people don't know to ask some, ask themselves these questions, right? So framing everything up in order to figure out what sort of workouts to run, like you were alluding to earlier, you need to know what you're training for, right? So what is your end goal? And right now I personally, you know, I'm coming back And at first, I didn't really know what I wanted to train for. So there was kind of a little bit of chaos going on. I didn't know, should I do speed? Should I do threshold? Like, what do I do, right? And that's okay for a little bit. But if you are constantly training without any sort of sense of direction, that can be really difficult. And I know even this or this last year, with a lot of races being canceled, a lot of people just didn't know what to do with their training. And it started to be like, whoa, um, I can't even train anymore because I have no sense of direction. And so we tried to create programs that would help with the sense of direction. Let's train for fast 5K, let's train for a mile. And a lot of people really liked that because they had that sense of direction. And I think it's really important as athletes to always have uh, that compass, that sense of direction. And maybe you're not signed up for that marathon, but maybe your end goal is, okay, in 12 to 18 months, I want to run a marathon. Um, And then we work backwards from there. We say, okay, what do you want to do in the next six months? Are we looking at short distance races? Are you wanting to, you know, work on some speed? Do you want to do a half cycle somewhere before then? And that's really where we work backwards. And then if any races kind of do pop up where you say, hey, can I add in this race? I want to do this virtual race. You always have to go back to what is my goal? What am I training for? And does it fit within my cycle? And so at a huge level, that's how you want to look at uh, your training blocks. But then within each training block, let's say it's a, you're training for a goal 5K or the next training block, maybe you're training for a half and then or a, a marathon. Your workouts within that training block are going to be very specific and it's going to vary. And same with your long runs, same with your weekly mileage. And so that's why it's really important to have an understanding of what you're training for and then have workouts that are more specific 
to your goal. And I know um, a later podcast will kind of talk a little bit about speed versus threshold and what types of workouts to be adding in based on what you're training for. Uh, But right now, I think it's just really key to make sure that when we do prescribe your workouts or when you are creating these workouts for yourself, that you run at the correct paces. So Jason, talk to me a little bit about a tempo run, threshold run, and why it's so important to not um, end up racing these. Because I think a lot of people sometimes will end up either racing a tempo run or they just um, don't run the correct pace for it. And why is that problematic? problematic. Yeah, I always, um, when I start working with an athlete, I kind of give them, um, obviously pace ranges, but also like effort scale that I want them to keep in the back of their mind when they're doing workouts. And so, you know, easy runs are typically like a four, four out of five, uh, or four or five out of 10. Um, and a tempo run is going to be somewhere around like a seven to an eight at the max. And so I don't want it to feel more than 80% effort. If it is, you're crossing over that line and it's starting to become, um, you know, it's starting to become more of like an interval paced effort. And so um, intervals, those are always going to be like eight or nine. Um, you shouldn't really be maxing out on those either. But, um, you know, one way I'll, I'll prescribe the, the first threshold workout is I'll just kind of do like a, I might do like three by four minutes and just kind of see how, how, the, how it goes, right? I'll look at the consistency from each interval. I'll look at the pace and see if it's um, close on all three. I'll make sure there wasn't like big hills on the third one and stuff like that. And um, I'll ask the athlete how they felt and that sort of thing. And then I'll gauge it and I'll make the adjustment for the next one. And so I think that that's kind of the right way to go about it. We don't want to start an athlete out running, you know, three by one mile at their threshold because that could be like eight minutes. And that could be, you know, if they're running eight minute pace for their threshold, that's 24 minutes of threshold work. Um, right off the bat, that's, that's going to be too much. And so we want to make sure that the athlete is, um, able to kind of complete the workout while still feeling like, you know, they stayed in that seven to eight range for their effort. And if it's too much, then obviously it's too hard. We want to reassess and adjust for the future. Right. Totally. I think learning how to run based off feel is huge because training doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? We're out there on the track. It can be 90% humidity. And if you see on your training peaks or in your workout description that you have to run 650 pace for your intervals and you're off that you end up you know, being hard on yourself or you end up racing a workout if you are so dead set on running a certain pace. And that's when effort-based running really comes into play. And yeah, we like to be data-driven. We like to have very specific paces involved. Um, You can go to these VDOT calculators. You can plug in, okay, you know, let's say I did run 625 pace for a 10-mile race recently. It would say, you know, your threshold is 625 pace, right? Um, So that's a really specific pace. And actually, it's saying 627 pace, which is, like, so specific, right? When you see, oh, my gosh, like, this is exactly my threshold. I need to run exactly this. And it's like, yeah, in a vacuum, that's uh, that's about your threshold. But we have to keep in mind, you know, you run on hills, right? If you're doing a threshold workout and there's hills or there's wind or there's sun or it's hot or it's cold, right? There's so many things that go into this. And that's why you might see if you work with us, we have pace ranges because we understand that you're not going to be able to, if it said 627, that can be just really, it's so exact and specific. And sometimes there's just so many other factors going on that it, there is a window there. We want people to be okay with 
you know, being five to 10 seconds per mile on one side or another. Cause if you're going straight up down a hill, you know, your 627 pace is probably more like a, like a 612. I, I don't know. It just depends on how steep the hill is. But if you're going up a hill, you know, it might be more like a 655, you know, you just, you have to allow your body to kind of understand and learn what different efforts are at specific paces. And so threshold pace, you really do want it to be more of like that seven to eight out of 10. You just never feel like you're racing. And one of the rules of thumb that I always tell myself when I'm doing a tempo is, Hey, is this how you would want to feel during a 10 mile race? Is this how you would want to feel during a half marathon? Can you, if you had to, like if someone came up to you and was like, it's time to race, you know, could you speed up? And if the answer is, oh my gosh, actually, no. Like if, if someone said it's time to race, you got to speed up 10, 15, 20 seconds per mile. And you say, whoa, there's no way I could do that. You're probably going too fast. You're probably earing on the side of racing your workout. Cause if you can't speed up, right. If you're saying to yourself, I physically couldn't go any faster than this then you just raced a workout because the goal of the workout is you should have a little bit more in the tank. You should be able to go a little further. You should be able to go a little faster. So that is a good rule of thumb there. Um, Jason, do you find that sometimes people will uh, race uh, tempo runs or have you ever seen someone race tempos or race their workouts? And then on race day, what ends up happening? Um, yeah, we, um, you know, unfortunately I see it, it is hard to kind of see it as a coach, but I, I remind myself like this person is on their own journey, right? They're not as experienced in racing. Um, you know, I don't know always what's going on inside their head, if there might be a confidence issue or not, or, um, maybe there's a little race day anxiety, whatever. But the most important thing I think is to teach them in training to, you know, hold back and to go off a feel and to really not focus so much on, uh, oh my gosh, I, I didn't hit my pace on this one. Um, you know, that sort of thing. But really focusing on like, how was your effort? Where was your mindset at throughout this workout? And sometimes I'll ask athletes that, like, how would you rate this workout out of 10? Because I want to see what they say. Um, you know, and this all just goes back to the, you know, the equation of like stress plus rest equals growth. And we're stressing the system a little bit. We don't want to overstress it because then um, we're not going to be recovered for the next one. And so then we we, we create this, uh, recurring pattern of um, getting like not quality workouts in um, because you're just overstressing the recoveries maybe not um, really doing enough of, of its job and so I think it's really important to um, you know go off of this effort-based scale and to um, you know learn learn how to slowly start to kind of push more and more as as you become more comfortable. Yeah, definitely. And I have fallen victim so often to this when I first started, you know, competitive running and racing. And I'm sure, you know, you probably did too, but it's like, it was so long ago that you forget about it. And honestly, I forget about it too. There was a time where I'd go to my workouts and it was very, very much almost like a race. Like it was like, okay, I gotta, gotta run as fast as I can. I gotta really learn how to push myself so that I can do it on race day. But over the years, what you learn is that if you are constantly doing that on your workouts, you know, on race day, you're going to end up disappointed because you're racing your workouts. You're treating your workouts like a test, right? Are you training or are you testing is always a question you should be asking yourself. And you know, if you're just training you should be able to go further. You should be able to go faster. You shouldn't be so caught up, so worried, so intense. You shouldn't be like thinking about it so much the day before. You should just, you know, kind of chill a little and let yourself train at that 80%. And then on race day, that's where you bring it. That's where you test. 
Um, and a problem with, you know, there's really nothing wrong with, you know, testing your fitness, right? Like there's nothing wrong with if you wanted like virtual races all last year, right? Like people were testing their fitness. We did virtual races. Those were, you know, times where you were testing it. There's nothing wrong with racing. But the problem is that if you're constantly asking your body to test fitness every single week during almost every workout or too often, your body's actually going to start to like burn out, right? You're going to start to not see results because you can't always be testing yourself. You can't like always test. You have to go through the training portion as well. It would be like same with that school. There's a reason why you only had so many tests leading up to the end of a class or semester. There's a reason why in college you had finals, midterm. If you went into class every single day and they just tested you, it would be like, what is happening, right? Like, I haven't learned anything. Like, there's nothing to test. And so that's why you really do need to put the training in because that's when your body is actually making the adaptation so that you can race. And so often I see people just always being very testy and just not um, allowing the patience and the time to get better. And I also think it's really important to like train at the right paces and understand that, you know, I understand that you might want to run a certain pace for your threshold runs or a certain pace on Strava, whatever it may be, because that's something that you're used to and implementing these changes going to be different, right? It's not going to feel great, but over time, that's when you're going to see the results. Um, You just really have to trust the process, trust the training. I know we did a podcast on that released in, in March or February of this year about trusting the training and what that really means. And this is going back to that whole topic of trusting the process, trusting your training. Um, so talking a little bit about easy runs, I know we've talked about this topic so many times, but there's often people who struggle with this concept still. And going back to the training paces, one of the rules of thumbs we always talk about on our Run for PR's Instagram account is your easy pace should be at least, at least two to three minutes per mile slower than your 5K pace. So if you run a 5K pace at seven minute pace, your easy pace should be nine to 10 minute pace. And that's the fastest you should be going. So sometimes you might be going 11 minute pace, right? And a lot of people listening are like, no, 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 that's not for me. I can't run that slow. It changes my stride. It changes my gait. And it's like, no, you still have to run that slow. And, you know, I plug in back to that whole someone who has a 625 pace threshold, you know, it's saying my easy pace should be, you know, about 830 pace. And that's two minutes per mile slower than a 10 mile race, right? So sometimes even the faster you become, the slower you're going on these easy runs. And it is, your stride does change. It feels a lot different. It should feel like you're not even running, right? So talk to me a little bit about how you feel on your easy run days and the pace difference between your 5k pace and your, your easy run pace personally and just other people, you know. Yeah. When I think about pacing, you know, it, it really, to me, it's kind of like thinking about a, like a 21 speed bike, right. Versus a, I don't know, a, a 10 speed. Um, the more gears you have, um, the faster you're going to be able to go and push yourself. And so I think about that range of paces, right. And so the faster you are, you probably are running even slower than two minutes per mile faster or slower than your 5k pace. Right. So, um, cause I know for a fact when I was running, 
um, you know, right around like five minute, five, 10 pace for a 5k, I was running eight minute pace all the time on, on recovery runs. Um, and my, the majority of my easy runs were probably like 7.30 pace. So that's, you know, about two and a half minutes per mile slower. And so, you know, for the newer runner, or the not as experienced racer, you know, let's, t- let's say you're a 25-minute 5K runner. Um, that's an eight-minute average pace roughly. Um, you know, let's say if you're doing a lot of your easy runs at even like 9.30, that's, that's too fast. Um, so you want to be running at least like 10.05 pace or slower. And um, that's just kind of, you know, my two cents. It's it's really about, um, like you said, it takes time and it's stepping outside your comfort zone a little bit and reminding yourself kind of why you're doing it. And so you're trying to create a greater range of being able to um, dial into certain paces and have more control over your paces. And that's really the key. And that's really what's going to give you more confidence as you approach workouts is, you know, you can really back off and take the recovery portion easy. A lot of times when I'm looking at my athletes' workouts, I'm paying just as much attention to their pace on the recovery segments as I am what they actually hit the, the you know, intervals at because I want to see what is their consistency like there? Like, were they running nine-minute pace during the first recovery, then it was like 10, and then it was 11? Because that's a sign that they're probably running too fast. Um, it could also be a sign that they're starting to learn, like, oh, I should slow down more in between. And so, you know, those are just some things that I start to notice about athletes. Yeah, no, that's a super really good point right there. Um, a lot of times people will be like, I couldn't hit my paces on the workout, right? And then you look at your the recovery and you're like, well, you were only going like 45 seconds slower in your recovery. Right. So how, right. So I think sometimes when people are like, should I walk on my recovery? I'm like, whatever you need to do to recover, like if, if you physically are like one of those people who just cannot go slow, like you just are struggling or you struggle with on and off, yeah, I think sometimes going into that walk mode maybe is better, right? Or if you find yourself on an easy run where you're just out of control, like take the music out, just just focus on your breathing. And if you do have to stop to walk to tell your body like, hey, yo, like this is an easy run, um, walk, right? Like let your body just walk, let it feel like a jog. Um, and, and that's really how I do feel on most of my easy runs. Like I'm jogging. I'm, sometimes you're like, what's the point of it? Right. You start to, your mind is kind of like, what am I doing out here? Um, and that's totally fine. And sometimes people will ask on Instagram, they'll say, Oh, can I, can I walk, um, instead of doing my easy run or what if my easy run is actually a walk? And I'm like, well, maybe, you know, maybe walking is what you should be doing instead of running easy. I don't know the fitness level of every single person. Right. But I do know, when you are building, um, even when I was coming back postpartum, like I would run, you know, every other day and on the other days I would just walk because walking is the, the step into getting into running. Right. So if maybe you are walking on those easy days, um, that's totally fine. And it just really depends on the person. And uh, yeah, so the biggest thing is understanding where your fitness level is at and creating a plan based on that. And, talking in such broad terms can be can be difficult because it's like we don't really know who's listening but everyone's different and you do have to have those easy and hard days you have to polarize your training um and and that's just one of the the biggest things there so jason how does someone find out you know we talked a little bit about threshold we talked about easy pace what about speed work um i know that can be kind of a gray area for people uh sometimes people go on the track or they go on the road and they just like hammer out these crazy paces um or i know on our stride podcast we talked a little bit about how sometimes people will go like four Mm -hmm. minute pace on strides it's like they maybe are you know a five hour marathoner but man they, they got that speed so talk to me a little bit about how to figure out what sort of speed workouts 
to do and how can we avoid racing speed workouts? Yeah, this is a great one. And, you know, my years of coaching like track, it, it made it very, um, you know, obviously it made it easy for me to calculate paces when you have athletes that are running, um, you know, 400 meters at a time or whatever, and you can do faster times for their 400 um, than their 800 and that sort of thing. And so kind of figuring out, you know, their interval pace, first of all, thinking how experienced are they with running intervals? What, what's the distance you're going to prescribe? Um, and it might be 400s, it might be 600s. Those are, those are pretty good um, kind of starting points. It might even be 200s, shorter um, reps. So you might want to see how fast they can they can run, um, you know, for shorter periods of time. Um, and so obviously you're going to stagger the times. Um, a lot of times the interval pace on these calculators are going to be um, anywhere from 10 to 25, 30 seconds, maybe faster than your 5K pace. And so, um, you know, take the eight minute uh, 5K example I was using before who runs 25 minutes. Um, so their 5K pace is 802. Interval pace says 747. And so it's about 15 seconds. Um, so that means for intervals, they're probably going to be running. Um, I, I always think of that as like middle, middle of the road intervals. So like 800 meters to maybe 1200 meters, somewhere in that range. So even like 1K repeats um, should be done at that pace, right? So that's 747-ish pace. Um, if they're going to run 200s or 400s, something a little bit shorter, it should be done at a faster pace. Um, and I'm not saying super fast, like it doesn't need to be sub seven, right? Um, but it could be like 730 or 725, somewhere in that range. And so, you know, over time you'll adjust paces. And, um, I think just learning how to approach it, like you feel like you're running at an eight or nine on the effort scale. And so if the person is running, you know, if the pace is 747 for intervals and they're running like 645, that's probably a sign that they are maybe pushing it a little bit too much. Right. And one thing I really want to talk about when it comes to speed work, cause I know you have so much experience with track and, one of the things to keep in mind is that track events, you know, when you're talking the 800 meter, the one mile, the anaerobic portion of that is a lot higher than these road races we're training for, right? So an 800 meter is like 50% aerobic, 50% anaerobic. And so you can really see the value and the benefit of doing anaerobic work, doing speed work, really pushing it because it, 50% of the race is just that. But when you come over to road racing, the 5K, even the 5K is 90% aerobic. And so when someone comes to me and I see they got this top end speed, right? They're just this speed machine. They could go out on the track and run sub six minute pace for 400s, 200s. And then I'm like, all right, let's do a threshold workout. And they, they can barely even hit, you know, like a 730. I see such a bridge between their potential, right? So they have speed, they have the anaerobic ability levels. And in running, you only get so many workout days. And the last thing I would want to do as a coach is prescribe them the wrong types of workouts, right? So if you already are a speed machine, if you're already like, yeah, I can run like a, like a 550 mile, but my marathon's like, you know, nine minute pace, we're going to shift. We're going to spend all of our focus building your aerobic engine. I'm not worried about speed work for people like that. Um, you know, if, if there's a big gap between what it's saying you can do, like if you plug in VDOT and it's saying that you can run, let's say it says you can run a marathon that's like an hour faster or like 30 minutes faster than what you've ever actually done on race day, 
we are not going to touch speed work. I mean, I'm just, I'm just not going to do it, especially if you're training for, um, a marathon, right? Like if we're going, I personally, as a coach, I think we're going to focus on threshold, long runs, building mileage, building that aerobic engine, because you're already so fast. And so I think to myself, when you get to a place as an athlete where you start to close that gap and you start to realize, and even as a coach, you can start to see it. You see, okay, this person like really needs to work on their speed or we really need to get some speed workouts in here because like their turnover is just not there. Um, it's just not as fast as it could be. And there are a lot of athletes out there who really do benefit from having speed workout. Uh, but there are a lot of people who actually don't benefit from having speed workouts. They would actually benefit more from having threshold workouts, from having more mileage, long runs. So you really have to manage that stress load and you have to figure out what workouts are going to be most beneficial for you because you only get so many workout days. And the funny thing is the tendency for people who are really fast and good at speed workouts is they want to do the speed workouts. They want to do the fast stuff because the longer distance stuff is probably a lot harder for them because they're under-trained aerobically compared to their potential. Um, so again, it just varies so much from person to person, what sort of workouts to prescribe, but that's why working with a coach can really be a huge game changer. And I know when I hired my first coach eight, nine years ago now, uh, it, it really changed the game for me. I thought I had a pretty good understanding of running. You know, I listened, I didn't listen to podcasts because they weren't really out, but I, I read like every article online. I r- read books. Like I, I was so ingrained with um, training and how can I get better? But sometimes it just takes that outsider perspective to be like, hey, you know, I'm noticing this about you. You have these tendencies and I think to challenge you, we have to do X, Y, Z. And it's really hard to take that step and to say, hey, what do you think like I could work on or to get that outsider perspective? Because oftentimes we do know what we need to do, but it's it's just stepping outside of our comfort zone and it's challenging and difficult. And having someone to guide you outside of your comfort zone and to let you know like, hey, this is, this is where you want to go. This is the right direction for you um, can really just be a huge help because Running is hard and doing it alone is even harder. So having a coach who can guide you can just be a huge game changer. And even now I still work with a coach and I have coach Ben Jacobs at Run for PRs. He is always someone that just keeps me in line with um, my tendencies as a runner, right? And so keeping keeping you in check, keeping you accountable, keeping you on the right track towards your goals. And at Run for PRs, that's what we do. We build stronger runners at Run for PRs and we want to help runners reach their potential and to become the strongest athletes that they can be. And working with a coach can be that next step in your running journey. If you've listened to these podcasts, if you have you know, done training before and you're just not seeing the results, sometimes that next step of getting a coach can really help take your training to that next level. And we do a free seven-day trial here. So if you're you know, interested in what we do or the type of workouts we prescribe for you, we'd love to get to know more about you. If you fill out the form at www.runforprs.com, We can chat more and we can get you set up with that one week free trial and get to know a little bit more about you and your training and help you achieve your goals. So again, if that's something that you're interested in, you can visit our website at www.runforprs.com and get started working with a coach today on a free seven-day trial. So thanks for tuning in.